Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. The judgment is not, in a sense, an inescapable sentence to death. Rather, for this group of people, for those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, this judgment is an occasion for rejoicing. This Lamb, as we saw in Revelation 5, offered himself in the place of his people. And that means this. Anyone, anywhere who done anything can dip their robes in the blood of the Lamb and find them turn miraculously white. Hope in God, oh my soul. The approaching judgment can make us a bit uncomfortable as Christians. Even though we can have confidence in our salvation by the blood of Christ, the idea of hell might sound a bit harsh. But as Pastor Ricky points out today, Revelation tells us that we will actually be rejoicing at the coming judgment. God will enact justice for all the evil deeds of humanity. Furthermore, we'll rejoice in the salvation that we receive, knowing that we too deserve to be thrown into hell, but have been saved by Jesus' sacrifice. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Revelation chapter 20 as he continues his message, Only God Can Judge Me. We remind you over and over again, church, the Bible is an equal opportunity offender. Every culture in world history, you take their kind of way of life and you match it up to the Bible, it's gonna always press and confront in different ways. And this happens to be one of the places that our, our culture finds it incredibly offensive that a man in the sky would judge them at the end of their life, but has no problem judging other people all day. It's us that we will want to admit our place under this. this and, and we should rejoice. Like, hey, you're going to be placed under a true and good standard of judgment. Like, awesome. You're going to get a fair trial. Great. But this is what's at stake. Randy Alcorn sums the Bible's teaching up and, and encourages us, church, not to be God's editors. Would this be an easier text to preach out loud in America if we just struck verse 15 out of it? Like Thomas Jefferson taking our penknife, slicing out the verses that don't land well with us. Alcorn sums it up this way. Yes, hell is dreadful, but it is not evil. It's a place where evil gets punished. Something can be profoundly disturbing, yet still moral. Hell is moral because a good God must punish evil. He must, church. If he did not, would he be good? Alcorn continues, much more is at stake than the doctrine of hell and the question of universalism. We don't own the Christian faith. It isn't ours to revise. He continues, God's word wasn't meant to be given away piecemeal, leaving the next generation with leftovers. If we go on decade after decade, parceling out fragments of the faith, what will be left? When we abandon truths Christians once died for, will we no longer have truths worth living for? What is at stake? Eternity is at stake. Now, ask yourself, why then? Why then would this be in the Bible such, a, such an, an uncomfortable, kind of a, a scary, a, a terrifying doctrine? Why would this even be in the Bible? Why would Jesus talk about hell more than anyone else in the Bible? 
to save us from it. He is not bringing this knowledge to be like, nah, 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 you're going down. He brings this knowledge with tears in his eyes, pleading with us to turn away. Which brings us to question number five. How can anyone stand before this judgment? This is the mystery of Revelation 20. Why does the Bible not end at the end of Revelation 20? Why isn't the last verse in the Bible, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the fire? Everybody's guilty. Everybody's been judged fairly. They're all gone. End of the Bible. Why does it continue? Why is a new heaven and a new earth come down? Why is a holy city, New Jerusalem, come as a bride adorned for her husband? Why is there rejoicing? Why does God then dwell with, with, some, with some group of people for all eternity? Why can that take place? Revelation 7 answers that question. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Remember, they're before the throne and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Okay, I don't get this. How can there be a group of people that, that see the judgment, that have the gavel ring over them, that respond to it with joy, with rejoicing, with crying out that salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb? Verse 13 answers that question. One of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? From where have they come? An especially relevant question coming from Revelation 20, from the judgment throne. Who are these people that are rejoicing instead of wailing? And John said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Oh, church, this is why the gospel is such good news. This is why the word gospel means good news. That the judgment is not, in a sense, an inescapable sentence to death. Rather, for this group of people, for those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb, this judgment is an occasion for rejoicing. This lamb, as we saw in Revelation 5, offered himself in the place of his people. And that means this, anyone, anywhere who done anything can dip their robes in the blood of the lamb and find them turn miraculously white. Look, to change the metaphor back to the courtroom, listen to the language of Romans 8.33. Imagine you're there. Imagine books are open. Imagine the book of life is being examined and sentencing is about to be issued. Listen to, to Romans 8, verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is always interceding for us. 
Imagine the scene that as books are open and you look helpless and hopeless to your lawyer, almost ready to ask, can anything be done? You turn to find that your lawyer is Jesus Christ himself. And before the sentence can be issued, he says, one more thing, your honor. I paid for that sin. Well, what about March 22nd, 2012? Paid for that. What about March 13th? Paid for that. 14th, paid. 15th, paid. 16th, paid. Over and over and over again through every single charge until the gavel rings out and the judge's verdict over your life is not guilty. Redeemed, welcomed, ushered into the presence of God himself. Man, this, amen. So I, I have a friend who has a threat of mental illness in his family. And one of the things this, the, the threat of mental illness, you know, comes out in is an obsessive kind of thinking over and over and over in these loops about questions. So some people, it can be anxiety things, some people can be other things. For him, though, it, it often is expressed in endless loops where he'll think of his sins and feel hopeless and condemned. Now, he, this is a condition that, that he's under the care of a doctor for and that he's doing, he's doing treatment for, but there is a, an underlying spiritual dimension because part of his dilemma, he's described when he gets in these loops, is that when he thinks of his sin or his failure or his fault or his status before the Lord, he feels the reality that he cannot stand and the problem with the loop in particular, is the reason the loop is deadly is that it's true. Some people are thinking, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Usually they don't. But in this particular instance, he did sin. He was unjust. What does he then do with that? But you know what? This friend of mine, he is, I think, one of the happiest people I have ever met. You know why? Because even though this can be a struggle and this obsessive thinking can be a struggle, he has an answer. He has an answer. When he, for instance, maybe yelled at one of the kids and feels the weight of that and how utterly unlike the heavenly father it is and he feels it condemned, he finds in the Bible an answer, which is this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, who is interceding for us. That any sin, any failure, any guilt can be answered over and over and over by the blood of Jesus. And Christ himself stands next to him as his lawyer, as his advocate interceding. So anytime he's like, well, what about, what about Jesus says, no, paid. What about no, paid. And listen, but my friend, I think one of the reasons he is the happy, one of the happiest guys I know is because he, he lives much more than all of the rest of us do in the reality of the throne room and the joy in the not guilty. Question six, this will be brief. What is the effect of this judgment? I just wanna draw your attention to the fact that this is not capricious judgment. This is not kind of God having an angry outburst or, or you know, you yelling at the kids, come downstairs and I'm just gonna punish everybody. I didn't do it. I don't care. You know, it's not that. 
Instead, we read in verse 14, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Now, that seems a strange statement. All of a sudden, well, like, aren't those concepts? Like, how is that being punished here? Well, remember, Hades is just kind of the Greek way of speaking of, of death or the underworld. Death entered the world scripturally when sin entered the world. Right, Hades was that place where sort, sort of souls existed waiting for judgment. And, and the Christian worldview, the Jewish worldview was like, yes, that, 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 that death that, that dogs all of us, the loved ones we've lost, the fear we have of that upcoming medical test, the fear of a pandemic, we fear that that source is in evil and sin, which brought death into the world. Now, here is the good news of verse 14. Once sin has been dealt with, once injustice has been dealt with, once evil has been dealt with, death will be no more. 1 Corinthians 15 pictures death this way. It's, Paul says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so look, you might think it's great that God brought down the false prophet and we clap and rejoice. We think it's great that God brings down the beast and we clap and rejoice. Even that God brings down the dragon and we rejoice. But the last enemy, the enemy that dogs us from our birth to our last breath is death itself. And on that day when evil is cleansed and sin is cleansed, death itself will be destroyed. No one in the new heaven and the new earth will fear a lab result. No one will hold their loved one's hand as they pass away. No one will grieve the loss of a child. No one, not ever, not again. What God does is incredible kindness and incredible mercy in cleansing the world of sin and evil and death. All right, very briefly then. How must we live in light of this judgment? I just want to ask three questions for you at the end here. First is this, are you sure you're ready for that day? One of the reasons this text is in the Bible is that we might ask the question, are we sure we're ready for that day? Look, first John 2 provides both pastoral encouragement and pastoral warning. First John 2, 1 says this, my little children, I'm writing, writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, right? Such a word of comfort. Look, if, if you as a Christian are like, man, I, I know my life's a wreck. Sometimes I'm still a wreck. I feel like I'm, I'm failing. Maybe I'm kind of failing forward is the best I can do some years. As I look back on my life, I do see like, okay, the Lord has been at work and, and I've been growing in certain areas, but I'm just aware of, man, like I, I shouldn't have done that. that and then you're, you're in a fight or a struggle against sin. And I think, man, if you're in a struggle against sin, if you're in a fight against sin, I think scripture would say, you're in a good place. You're probably, you're probably good in the sense that the spirit of God is at work in you and you're battling your sin. Remember, friend, you have an advocate with the Father. When you blow it, with your spouse or with your kids or with your work, you have an advocate. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But 1 John continues with a warning. Verse three, and we know 
By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but not, does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Church, this is a, this is a pastoral warning from the Apostle John. Please examine your life. We're not talking about sinning and struggling. We're talking about a pattern of life in which you say with your mouth, I know him, but the book of deeds of your life bears no evidence of that fact. That the, the arc of your life is not slow, perhaps painful, progressive conformity to the picture of Christ. It is conformity more and more to the world. Look, I, I am pleading with you. Look, some days, I was joking with somebody, some days as a pastor, you're just the mailman. You're just trying to explain, this is the mail. I didn't write the mail, this is the mail. But I feel the weight today, brothers and sisters, of warning you that if you and your life bear no resemblance to Christ, you must examine whether you are Christ's. You must examine yourself before it is too late. You do not want your first examination of that question to be on the last day. I am pleading with you. And if that is true, you want to ask those around you. You want to ask them for help. You want to, you want to work through this question with them. There is no, I, I am not exaggerating when I say there is no more important question in the universe than this one. Are you ready for that day? Friend, please, please. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in church. It doesn't matter how many years you have a Bible study. It doesn't matter if you could say all the right things. It doesn't matter if you've ever put your hands up in worship. It doesn't matter that you've done this good deed and that good deed and this good thing and that good thing. It will not matter on that day if you say, I know him and your life bears no resemblance to him. Please. Second, are you making right now count forever? I'm just going to end end kind of with this this push from R.C. Sproul on us, a great now departed Bible teacher. And he talks about how our culture is a culture of here and now, of materialism, of what's right in front of us. And the Christian culture is not a here and now culture. It's a now and forever culture. And that means right now counts forever. What you do the rest of the day counts forever. What you do this week and this year and the next decade counts forever. Sproul says this, the unspoken assumption is that it's now or never because there's no ultimate future for mankind. Our Christian assertion is that there is more to our lives than now. If there is not, then even the now is meaningless. But we say now counts. Why? Now counts because we are creatures who have an origin and a destiny that is rooted and grounded in God. Look, let me just encourage you, church. What what you do in this life matters deeply. You are not just sitting around waiting for Jesus to pick you up. And if you are, I'm calling you not to do that. Look, 
Jesus is so clear that there are only two ways to invest your, your, your resources, which include, I think, as Americans, our time and other things. We either lay them up in, in, in Matthew 6, where moth and rust destroy, or lay them up in heaven, where moth and rust will never destroy them. Look, where you invest your money, where you invest your time, where you invest your career, where you invest your calendar, where you invest your life, will either on that last day be wiped away and meaningless or will count eternally. Look, C.S. Lewis has this great line where he says, look, when you look at those people around you, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. Their life is to ours as the life of a gnat, but it is immortals with whom we joke with work with, marry, snub, and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Look, church, there is, there is no, there's no way to look at the world the same after this text. Your family members, your Boyfriends or girlfriends, your co-workers, your neighbors, the person you pass in line at Walgreens, these people will live forever somewhere. Won't you tell them? Look, I, let me just say this. I think America is the only God can judge me, but I think America at the same time lives with an immense guilt. I think every single person you talk to, even they're like, yeah, nobody can judge me. I'm just living my life. Deep down, there is guilt. There is turmoil. There is stuff that can't be resolved. There is all of this going on inside of the people around you. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to offer them the hope of the Lamb? Look, let me just end with this. I'm going to end differently. I, guys, so you don't need that quote. I'm going to end with Sproul. He says this. He, he went back and he wrote that article in 1977, and 30 years later, he reflected on it and whether the right now counts forever thing is true, and he says this. One thing has not changed in the past 30 years, and that is the fact that because God reigns, everything that happens today has consequences that last well into eternity. It is as true today as it was the first time I picked up the pen from my byline that what happens right now counts forever. So, let the culture be paganized, let the culture be barbarian, but let the church be the church and never negotiate the eternal dimension of life. Lord, we, we, as we end, we pray that you would help the church to be the church. Lord, that we would live different than every person around us who does not know Christ because we know of the reality of eternity, we know of the reality of that throne, we know of the resolution to the question of how anyone can stand before the throne. May we be okay being weird in the culture, making choices that don't make sense to the people around us. May we make them knowing that the only judgment that ultimately matters is the judgment on that final day. And Lord, may that free us. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong in There's much more that Pastor Ricky would like to share with you, but we've run out of time for today. 
This has been another edition of Better News Radio, a ministry of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. Pastor Ricky will continue teaching from the book of Revelation next time. For more information about this ministry or about what you've heard today, feel free to send us an email at radio at crossofgraceradio.com. If you'd rather make a phone call, you can do that too. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'd be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can also learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen or download for free at betternewsradio.com. Look under the radio tab. If you notice and click on the church tab, you'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events. You'll find all of that at betternewsradio.com. We also encourage you to look us up on Facebook to find some encouraging content for your newsfeed. That's all the time that we have for today, but thanks again for listening. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say how happy we are that you took the time to hear from God's Word today. Make plans to learn more from Revelation next time on Better News Radio.